chapter 53. If you're there, say amen. amen. I'm looking forward to continuing. We've been looking at the prophecies that Isaiah, uh, Isaiah gave about the Messiah, the Christ who was supposed to come into this world. And uh, we've made our way all the way to Isaiah chapter number 53 this morning. Well, I heard the story about a, a man from up north, as they say. He went down south during the Christmas holiday. And uh, while he was down there, he came to a, he drove by a church and he saw out front this beautiful nativity scene. I mean, it was uh, craftfully put together, just a very beautiful scene. And as he was driving by it, he noticed something uh, that just didn't fit with how beautiful the manger scene was. The wise men were wearing fireman caps. And he thought that was a very interesting thing to see at a manger scene. And, of course, it was a small town, so he didn't really know who to talk to. The church, the church was closed, and so he did what anybody does when they go to a small town and want to know something. He went to the gas station. And while he was at the gas station, uh, uh, he uh, talked to the attendant behind the counter as he was filling up his gas tank. And he asked her about the manger scene. He said, it's so beautiful. I just have one question for you. Why are the wise men wearing firemen hats? And the woman behind the counter immediately just seemed very offended. And she said, you dumb Yankees, you don't know anything about the Bible. If you'd read your Bible, you'd know why they're wearing fireman hats. And boy, he was a little offended by that. And he said, oh, I've been in church my whole life. I think I've read the Christmas story hundreds of times. And I don't have any clue what you're talking about. So she took a Bible out from behind the counter, plopped it on the desk in front of him, and turned to Matthew chapter 2. And she says, see, it says it right there. The wise men came from afar. <laughs> now, I see some of you with blonde hair, you're still trying to get that. Okay? Now, that's more funny, I think, right there. You know, the truth of the matter is, if you're not careful, you don't really look at what the Christmas story actually says. It's really easy to take things out of context. It's really easy to miss the message in the midst of all the other Christmas things that are going on in the society around us. But over 700 years before Jesus came to this earth in the flesh, God had already used prophets like Isaiah to foretell the reason that he was coming. We make no mistake about what that reason was because God has made it clear all throughout the scripture what the reason was that he was coming. In Isaiah chapters 40 through 66, the Bible gives us what one commentator called a, a prophetic overview of the whole New Testament. It takes us from the forerunner, John the Baptist ministry, all the way till the second coming of Christ and when the Lord makes a new heaven and a new earth in Isaiah chapter 66. And it is a beautiful portion of prophecy in the scripture. And in the midst of this prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah has four different accounts where he talks to us about God's special chosen servant. Oftentimes we call these the servants' songs. There's four of them in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 40 through chapter 66. And we're looking at the last of those poetic songs about the Messiah. And uh, uh, that's really what this is about. And in Isaiah, at the end of Isaiah 52 and into the beginning of Isaiah 53, Isaiah begins to tell us 
the reason God was going to send his servant, the reason God was going to send the Messiah. We could say it this way today, the reason God sent Jesus. He gives us what that reason is. And I want you to notice what the scripture says. Starting, We're going to start in chapter 52 of Isaiah and verse 13. And if you're there, say amen. amen. This is what the Bible says. He says, Behold, my servant. We say those words out loud with me. Behold, my servant. Now we've been called to behold different aspects of God all throughout Isaiah's prophecy. Last week we looked at how in Isaiah 40 we're called to behold our God. But right here, he changes the tune. The Lord says to us, behold my servant. And he goes on to describe who this special servant was going to be. Go to chapter 53 and verse 2. The Bible says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Let's read verse 5 out loud together. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Verse 6 says, Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The summation of this record that is given to us in Isaiah is that God was sending his special servant. He was sending the Messiah into this world for the express reason of saving us. That's why Jesus came. First John chapter four puts it so well when it says that the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. That's why Jesus came. To be a savior for those of us who needed saving. It's so easy during this time of the year to lose sight of what it's really all about. It's really easy to look at a baby in a manger and think, oh, that's so cute. And have warm, bubbly feelings about this particular season. But when you see the reason Christ came from the scope of eternity, you begin to realize that child... And that manger was born to die for you. That changes everything. And for a little while, God is calling us this morning to behold my servant. He wants us to take a look at Jesus. And don't just see a baby in a manger. But rather see that baby for who he grew to be and for the purpose for which he came, which was to save you. We're going to take some time to look at this special servant of God that God foretold would come and now has come, Jesus. So before we do, why don't we bow our heads and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts. Our Father, we come before you this morning and we still our hearts in silence before you. Lord, for these few moments that we'll spend together, I pray that you would put a holy hush on this room. All the Christmas plans that we have can wait. And for these minutes that we'll share in your word, I pray that you would give us the ability to give 
100% our attention to the servant that you sent to save us, Jesus. He is worthy of our focus. He is worthy of our worship. And I pray that he would have our undivided attention as we look at these precious words from Scripture about him. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. And if there's one here who does not truly have Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray today would be the day for them that they confess Christ as their Savior. And for those of us that know you as our Savior, I pray that our hearts would be filled with appreciation and wonder and worship as we consider Jesus, the one who has come and saved us. And so bless these moments we share together. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. As we look at this prophecy, I want you to notice with me five reasons God foretold Jesus would come. If you're taking notes this morning, write this first one down. Jesus came to serve. Jesus came to serve. Now these poetic words about Jesus begin with a bold declaration. If you look again at chapter 52 and verse number 13, God tells us to pay attention to something. He says, Behold, my servant... He wants us to notice something. He wants us to recognize a fact. And that fact is something that was clearly uh, uh, made evident through the life and ministry of Jesus. And it is that Jesus came to serve. That's why Jesus came. He came to serve. Now ultimately he came to serve the purpose of God in this world. His redemptive plan that he had foreseen before he ever created the world. And Jesus also came to serve us, to serve our needs when we could not help ourselves. Jesus came to help us. In verse 2, Isaiah of chapter 53, Isaiah begins to describe what the servant was going to be like. This Jesus who was foretold to come. In verse 2 he says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. In this verse, I believe the prophet has the incarnation of Jesus Christ in view. You say, what in the world is that? Well, incarnation is a word that simply speaks of how God came down to live in a human body. And that's what Jesus did. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. The Christ child was no mere man. It was God in the flesh. And the incarnation is in view for us in this verse. And understand the way that Jesus entered into this world was entirely unique. It would not have expected the God of creation, the King of kings, the Lord of lords to enter this world in the way that he did. And yet we see this verse describing how he was going to come. In verse 2 it just says first of all that he is going to grow up as a tender plant. But speaking of a sprout just a little sprout sprouting out of the ground. And what's pictured by those words is the way that Jesus came. He came as a baby. Now, if I was God, I might come as a full-grown adult in the splendor and glory. But that's not how our God came. He came in absolute humility. As a sprout. Yet from the view of heaven, the Bible says that they viewed him as a root out of a dry ground, God looked down on the barren wilderness of this world that had been devastated by the curse of sin. And all of a sudden, where there was death abounding, life sprouted. And that life was Jesus. 
In John chapter 1 and verse 4, the Bible says, In him was life, and his life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness uh, comprehended it not. The darkness could not overcome it. Boy, Jesus was the life of God growing up in the barren death-stricken death, uh, death wilderness of this world. And yet as Jesus came, we find that he did not come to make a spectacle of himself. We already read the verse where it says that he had no form. He had no particular look to him that made people think, oh, that's God. He just looked like another man. He had no comeliness. No splendor, glory. He didn't come in royal regalia. He didn't come with the aura of heaven glowing out of him. He came and he was a man. That's how God came into this world. And the Bible says there is no beauty that we should desire him. People didn't look at Jesus and think that must be God by the way that he physically appeared. The Bible tells us about the humility of how Jesus came. In Philippians 2, the Bible says that though he was in the form of God and thought it not robbery to be equal with God, yet he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Jesus had nothing to prove. He knew he was God. And so when he stepped down on this earth, he was not trying to gain glory for himself. He came down to this earth not to serve himself. He came down to this earth to serve God and to serve us. And that's why he came. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, the Son of Man has come not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. I don't know about you, but I find a lot of comfort in this truth because when we could not help ourselves, God came to help us. And some of you feel like this Christmas, you're beyond help. You feel like there's no hope for you. I have good news for you today. That's why Jesus came. To serve the deepest needs of your life. Jesus came to serve. But here's the second reason Jesus came. He came to suffer. He came to suffer Verses 3 through 5 begin to describe for us the incredible suffering of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And he's given a name. He's called the man of sorrows in verse number 3. And as our suffering Savior, never has someone become more acquainted with sorrow and grief than Jesus did. In verse 3, the Bible says he is despised. That word literally means he's regarded as worthless. When Jesus came into this world, by and large, this world looked at him and despised him. They thought nothing of him. The Bible goes on to say he is despised and rejected of men. John 1 and verse 11 says that he came unto his own and his own received him not. The world, by and large, did not want to receive the Savior who had come to deliver them. It goes on to say that he was acquainted with Grief as a man of sorrows, they hid their faces from him. They esteemed him not. The point in all these descriptions given to us in the scripture is that when Jesus came, this world didn't want him around. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. They didn't want to accept who he claimed to be. And it's interesting that the world by and large rejected the ministry of Christ when he first came. We look at that and we think today, well, how could the world be that way? The fact is, if you look around today, the world is still that way. 
A whole lot of people, even during this season that's supposed to be all about Christ, it has nothing to do with Christ for them. They don't believe him. They don't accept the truth about him. But let's get more personal. Even as us who profess to be believers, if we're not careful, we can get so busy with everything going on that we too can forget what it's all supposed to be about. You see, if you focus on yourself, one person said you'll become selfish. If you focus on the world around you, you'll become worried. But if you put your eyes on Jesus, you'll find the strength that you need to go on. That's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2. That we're to look into Jesus who is the author and finisher of our faith. Then it says in verse 3, consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Lest you, always, lest you also get faint and weary in your minds. And boy, the minute you get your eyes off of Jesus, the minute you get your eyes off of the one it's all supposed to be about, that's the moment you're going to start to feel hopeless. That's the moment that you're going to start to get into depression. That's the moment you're going to feel like you can't go on anymore. But you get your eyes back on Jesus and realize He's the reason for this season and He's the reason for living your life. It changes your perspective. So God says, look at my servant. Listen, this Christmas, we're supposed to look at Jesus. Don't get distracted about things that are peripheral when He is the main event. Well, Jesus endured suffering for us unlike anything that I think any of us will ever be able to understand. It wasn't just His own grief and sorrow for being rejected by a world He desperately loved. It goes much further than that. Look at verse 4. In verse 4, the Bible says, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. You understand, Jesus did much more than just suffer a cruel death on a cross. The Bible tells us that the suffering that Jesus endured on the cross was the suffering that you and I deserve for the sins that we have committed. The Bible says there in verse number 5 that He was wounded for our transgressions. God has drawn a line in the sand and says don't do some things. And every time you step over God's line, Jesus was wounded for every offense that you've ever committed. Think of the things they did to Him while He was on the cross. Verse 5 says that he was bruised, beaten for our iniquities. That's not the outward sins. That's the inward sins. That's the thoughts and the evil intentions of our hearts. The things that we've thought about and never done. They're still wrong for us to live and dwell on. The truth is Jesus was beaten. They drove nails into his hands and into his feet. A kind of nine tails, a whip came down on his back. He was beaten with the club. He was pushed down and shoved and made to bear his cross up the hill of Golgotha. They took their hands and slapped him in the face when they were trying to falsely accuse him. And every time he endured one of those beatings unnecessarily and unjustly, he was suffering all of that for every wrong thing that you've ever thought about in your heart. That's why he came. The Bible says at the end of all that in verse 5 that with his stripes we are what? See, he came to endure all these things to heal us. 
He was not broken. We are broken. He was not sinful. We are sinful. He did not deserve punishment. We deserve punishment. But he came and he suffered all of those things in our place so that we could be forgiven. And so that we could be saved. So we all suffer from a deadly disease. Every one of us. The spiritual disease. That disease is sin. It's deadly because you will die from it one day. Jesus came to save us from our sins. And instead of giving us eternal death that we deserve, he wants to give us eternal life. The Bible says that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's why he suffered. What a wonderful Savior we have. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 says that Jesus bare our sins in his own body on the tree. And then quoting this verse again in the New Testament, he says, And with his stripes we are healed. Hallelujah. Praise God that Jesus came. He came to serve. He came to suffer. But the third truth, the third reason I want you to see for why he came is that he came to substitute. He came to substitute. Verse number six. If you're still with me, say amen. Amen. Verse six. Here's what the Bible says. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Listen to me. The word of God makes very clear who it is that deserves punishment for the wrong things done in this world. And it isn't Jesus. It's us. We're the ones who've sinned. We, like sheep, the Bible says, have gone astray. We've wandered off from the way that God wants us to go. And it's you and I who have turned to our own way, away from God's way. The Bible tells us that when we go our own way, it will always and only ever result in death and destruction. Proverbs 16 and verse 24 says, There is a way that seems so right to a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. You may think you're going the right way in your life. But I'm here to tell you this morning. If you are not going God's way. You are not going the right way. And you will not like where it ends up at. See the Bible says when a man goes his own way. The way of sin. The end of that way results in death. Ezekiel 18.4 says that the wages. Or I'm sorry. The soul that sinneth it shall surely die. Romans 6 and verse 23 says the wages of sin or the penalty of sin is death. And that's what we deserve for going our own way. That's what we deserve for doing our own thing. That's what we deserve for breaking God's law. And yet though it is we who have wondered. Though it is we who have went out of God's way. And got ourselves into this terrible mess that we find ourselves in. The Bible says that God chose to put on Jesus The punishment that we deserve for our sins. Look again at the end of verse 6. It says the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the beautifully brutal truth about the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ. Jesus was substituted in our place. And I don't believe there's a better passage of scripture that describes this dynamic. A dynamic we often call the great exchange. Than in... 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. It's in your notes. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says that he, God, has made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, even though he knew no sin. Why? So that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, listen to me. 
This time of year, one of the things that uh, we like to do a lot of the times is have gift exchanges. You ever done something like that before? I like having gift exchanges. I really like it when someone gets a really good gift to exchange with me. All right? Um, that's always really fun. Um, I've been on both sides of that. I've gotten some really good gifts, and I've gotten some really bad gifts, too. And it definitely came out on the worst side of that gift exchange. And I'm sure you've experienced that as well. Can I tell you, this is the greatest gift exchange that's ever been known to man. <laughs> Jesus came and he took our sin, our guilt, all the shame that you have for every wrong thing that you've ever done and will ever do in your life. Jesus took it and he bore it on the cross and God punished Jesus, for your sin. That's what we gave to him. And he died for our sins. And now, because he's done that, he wants to exchange something for with us. He wants to take our guilt, our shame, and he wants to give us his salvation and forgiveness and eternal life. Jesus took the robes or the rags of our wretchedness and in exchange he wants to give us the robes of his righteousness. This is the great exchange. This is the best gift that the world could ever receive what Jesus Christ has done for us. And I want you to understand something. Jesus came to be your substitute. He wants to, he wants to take all your sin and suffer the punishment for every single one of them. And he wants to do that so he can forgive you and give you a home in heaven with him for all of eternity because he loves you. Never a greater gift been given than what Jesus has done for us. Jesus came to be our substitute, which leads me to a fourth truth for why Jesus came. Jesus came to speak. Jesus came to speak. Look at verse number seven. The Bible says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He said, well, preacher, I thought you just said Jesus came to speak. And here it says he's not going to open his mouth. Well, I'll explain it in just a minute. See, the Bible says he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened out his mouth. He is, uh, he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb or silent. So he openeth not his mouth. The Bible talks about here how Jesus was oppressed. He was put, uh, there was pressure laid on him to try to get him to speak, to try to get him to sin, to try to get him to uh, uh, deny himself. And I believe what's being described in this verse is the trial by scourging that the Romans would inflict on their prisoners. And Jesus was inflicted with a uh, scourging from the Romans. And the Romans were experts at torture. The Romans had a way of getting people to talk unlike most uh, ancient civilizations in history. And Jesus was subjected to all of those inflictions. And yet in the midst of all the unjust things that he experienced, the Bible tells us he never uttered a word in anger. And he never uttered a word in retaliation. 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us that when Jesus was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. And time fails us to be able to share everything I'd like to say. But suffice it to say this. Everything that Jesus endured was very unjust. In fact, what Jesus endured was the greatest act of injustice 
in the history of the world. Never has there been one so perfect and holy who had to suffer so greatly for something that he never did. But that's what Jesus did for us. And I love this. The greatest act of injustice in the history of the world was at the same time the single greatest act of mercy this world has ever experienced. Because Jesus came and endured all of that, though he did not deserve a bit of it. Because he loves us and he wants to save us. And if I could put it this way, Jesus didn't open his mouth in judgment of us while he was on this earth. Though he could have. He did not utter a word in judgment against us while he was on this earth. Because he wanted to finish the work that was necessary to be able to speak a word on our behalf in heaven. Amen. That's why Jesus came. In your notes, Romans chapter 8. One of the most important and beautiful verses in the Bible. Romans chapter 8 verses 33 and 34. It says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies or declares righteous. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also now makes intercession for us. My friend, think about the beautiful truth that's being described for us in the scriptures here. The one who has every right to speak against you is now the one that stands in heaven to speak on your behalf. And I'm going to tell you something. If there was anybody who could judge you, it would be God. But God does not desire to judge you. He desires to save you. Jesus said in John chapter 3, I did not come to condemn the world, but that through me the world might be saved. And friend, if the only person who can stand to judge you is God and he has come to save you and if you have trusted him as your savior, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what anybody else says because as Romans 8, 37 says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Hallelujah for the finished work of Jesus Christ. Thank God that Jesus has come and because he's come, those of us who have believed in him now have someone in heaven who speaks on our behalf and declares us righteous before God. That's the beautiful truth of Christmas. And thank God that Jesus came. He came to serve. He came to suffer. He came to substitute. He came to speak. But finally this morning I see that he came to satisfy. He came to satisfy. Now, I know we're getting late in our time together, but I don't want you to miss the most beautiful truth in this whole passage. Look down at your Bibles, Isaiah 53 and verse number 10. In fact, why don't we read the first phrase out loud together? It says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. The Bible actually says that God delighted in the body of Jesus being broken. It was actually his idea. It was no accident. God was the one that orchestrated all of these things to take place. And it makes me wonder, what could ever compel a father to subject his only son to such suffering? I have five children. At the time I was very young, I always dreamed of having children. And one thing in particular, if you've been around here, that I, uh, that I dreamed of, and I've talked about it a lot, is I, I've always wanted a little boy. 
Now, some people called me crazy. We had four girls, and I didn't give up hope. Now, I've been happy with whatever gender or fifth child was, but God did get, answer my prayer. It was a selfish prayer, I suppose, but I always wanted a boy, and I'm so thankful. You know, I prayed for a boy for 20 years. And I was just thinking about this this week. After longing for a boy for so long, or put any of my children in there, because this is true for all of them, would there ever be anything that would compel me to offer my son up for someone else? And if I'm speaking honest from my heart, the answer is no. <laughs> Absolutely not. Sorry, I love you all, but you're going to die and he's going to live, okay? <laughs> I'm just speaking honestly. I would die for any of, any of my kids. And it's just... There's nothing that's going to change that. So why would God sacrifice his only natural born begotten son? And the answer is you. Me. What? The ones who have sinned against him. The ones who have despised him. The ones who have rejected him. The ones who have spurned him. Why? Did God come and allow Jesus to come and be sacrificed, His only Son? It's us. That's why Jesus came. God looked at the suffering of Jesus with pleasure. Please the Lord to bruise Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want you to understand this before, before we're done. Listen to me. The reason why it pleased the Lord for his son to suffer and die was because he could see beyond that cross to what was going to be accomplished through his suffering. He saw beyond the cross and he saw an empty tomb. His son would rise again. He knew that Jesus would come back to life and so it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He saw beyond the suffering of Jesus Christ and he saw that Jesus would fulfill his plan for saving the world by sacrificing himself for our sins. And so it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He saw beyond the suffering of his son and he saw other sons and daughters who would come to faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and would be saved from their sins and be allowed to have their relationship restored with him and live with him for all of eternity in heaven. And he saw those other souls who would be saved. And so it pleased the Lord to bruise him. The Bible says in John chapter 1 and verse 12, that as many as receive him, Jesus, to them he now gives the power to become the sons of God. See, God saw beyond Jesus' suffering and he saw you. He saw your soul, which was eternally condemned, hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and confessing Jesus Christ as your Savior and you being saved. And he thought, it's a good thing for my son to go through all that so you can be saved. The last thing that the Lord saw when he looked at the suffering of his son is that in the end, his son, who was brutally crucified, would be ultimately, ultimately glorified. And now the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, Wherefore God has also given him a name which is above every name. 
That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And boy, God saw that through his humiliation would be his exaltation. And that Jesus in the end would be crowned Lord of all. And so it pleased the Lord to bruise him. In this passage of scripture... Isaiah calls us to behold God's servant, Jesus. Before we conclude, I want us to look at the application he gives in verse 1 of chapter number 53. One more place. Verse 1 of chapter 53. He asks us two questions about what we just learned. He says, who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Two questions. Here they are. Who is going to believe this wonderful news about Jesus? And who is going to accept it and be saved? That's essentially what he asks. Are you willing to believe what the Bible just told us about Jesus? Are you willing to accept that you're a sinner? And that you need Jesus to save your sinful soul? See, that's the reason Jesus came. That's the real reason for this season. I told you a while ago that Jesus has a gift that he wants to offer to every single one of us today. Now, we uh, cheated a little bit and we went ahead and celebrated Christmas with our kids yesterday. I couldn't help myself. Everything was wrapped and I just couldn't wait any longer. Some of you are that way too. So we had a great time doing that yesterday. And uh, Imagine with me when you're a kid or perhaps with your kids, it's Christmas morning and everybody wakes up. The Christmas presents are under the tree and your kids come out and you share the Christmas story and the gifts are down there. And then you say, all right, let's open the presents. And there go your kids and they pick up the gift. And they look at it and they shake it. They think, oh, that's such a pretty gift. Thank you, mom and dad. They put it back under the tree. Would that ever happen in your home? <laughs> Not a chance in the world. You know, this is what happens every Christmas for so many people. They come to church. They look at this beautiful gift, Jesus, and they think, oh, that's really pretty. These songs are so pretty. This service, wow, it's really neat. And they leave. They put it back under the tree. They never... Received the gift. Knowing who Jesus was. Knowing why he came in your head. Is not enough. There must come a day in your life. When you look at that gift and say. I need this. I want this. And tear it open. And find out what's inside. The Bible says. As many as received him. To them gave he the power. To become the sons of God. It says believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now shalt be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Shall be saved. Has there been a day in your life. When you received this wonderful gift from Jesus. You say pastor I've gone to church my whole life. I've heard this story a hundred times. Hearing the story. Being able to tell the story. Is not enough to save your soul. There's got to be a day in your life when you recognize it's not just that Jesus came, 
But he said he came for me. It's not just that Jesus died, but it's that he died for me, for my sins. It must be a day when you personally confess, I am a sinner. God, forgive me. I believe Jesus can save me, and I accept you as my Lord and Savior. It happened for me on October 15th of 1999. As a boy, in a church service like this, I walked an aisle, I knelt down, and I knew I was a sinner. And I asked God to forgive me my sins and be my Savior. I know when I receive the gift. Do you? Because if you don't, the Bible says today's the day. Now's the time. Don't put the gift back under the tree. This is the year you should receive what Jesus is offering.